Welcome to season three of the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a resource for you. We share personal stories from families who have been there, important advice from medical professionals, opportunities to focus on self-care and more. Please don't forget to hit subscribe, share this episode with anyone who might find it helpful and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. We have an action-packed roundtable for today's episode. I am honored to welcome three incredible neonatologists who have impacted more families than I am sure they know. Dr. Eddie Changs currently serves as the Chief of Neonatology at Jefferson Abington Hospital, but more broadly believes that it is important to build teams that care deeply about children and their families. His experience includes founding medical practices, a seed stage health tech venture, and a clinically integrated network focused on children. Board certified in both general pediatrics and neonatal perinatal medicine, Dr. Chang is a Castle Connolly Philadelphia Magazine top doctor and also holds an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where he also studied as an undergraduate. He completed medical school at Thomas Jefferson University, Sydney Kimmel Medical College, and pediatrics residency training at New York University. Finally, he returned to Philadelphia, where he finished his neonatal perinatal fellowship training at St. Christopher's Hospital for Children. Currently, Dr. Chang is a clinical assistant professor at Jefferson and is interested in sustainable healthcare strategy, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Dr. Cindy Dembofsky went to University of Connecticut for undergraduate, where she met her husband and continued at the University of Connecticut for medical school. She came to Philadelphia in 1992 when she began her pediatric residency, followed by her neonatology fellowship at Thomas Jefferson A.I. DuPont Children's Hospital. She joined the Crozier Health System, covering the Delaware County Memorial Hospital and Crozier Chester Medical Center NICUs after fellowship in 1998. She has been a neonatology division chief for the health system since 2012. She is also a member of the Delaware County Babies First Project. Dr. Jay Greenspan is the professor of pediatrics and emeritus pediatric chairman for the Sidney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University and Nemours. He is also a trustee for the March of Dimes. Dr. Greenspan received his undergraduate degree from Connecticut College, his medical degree at Case Western Reserve University, and his training in pediatrics and neonatal perinatal medicine at St. Christopher's Hospital for Children and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He completed his MBA at Capella University. His research interests include neonatal pulmonary function, development, and treatment. He is also involved in research on the prevention of preterm birth, healthcare reform, and the medical home. Welcome to all three of you. Exactly like I said in the opening, you have impacted more families than I'm sure you know through all of your years of service to help families navigating the NICU. I do have to ask each of you, what made you get into this field of working in the NICU? Dr. Dombowski? Right. So like many people, um, my pediatrician was my mentor as a child, and I loved working with children. In medical school, we were not, I think that was the only place I was ever not allowed to enter. It was sacred. No medical students, nobody who, unless they were absolutely necessary, ever entered the NICU. So it was this sacred, special place. 
Um, and it was during my pediatric residency, I think almost the first day, certainly my first rotation down at Jefferson that I just fell in love with the NICU, the staff, their dedication. The research was exploding at the time and the ability to care for and the outcomes for the babies were was incredible how fast it was changing. And Dr. Greenspan, as well as many other amazing mentors were there who were just so encouraging. That's great. That's great. Dr. Greenspan? Thanks, Martha. Great to be here. Um, it's, you know, the nursery is sort of um, a special place. Uh, it's the happiest intensive care unit. So from adults to kids, uh, the neonatal intensive care has the best outcomes. Unlike any other intensive care unit, the longer you stay there, the more likely you are to come out alive. And, um, and healthy. And although there are tragedies that we know about in the nursery, for the most part, it's a happy experience. And uh, as I had said to my brother, who is a geriatric psychiatrist, I said, you know, if we get through this together with the parents and the kids, you know, we have 99 years or more of success. And he doesn't have that in geriatrics. So, yeah. so um, it's a special place and it's a sacred privilege to be a neonatologist. That is, that is true. And I, I loved how you <clears throat> said that the happiest intensive care unit, when you look at when, when the babies come home, for sure. Dr. Chang. Ditto for all, all of it. So um, I think Dr. Dombrowski said the right, uh, you know, I, I believe earnestly that the people in the NICU, the people that you work with are, are just the most magnetic, amazing people that I've ever met. And, um, you know, I, you know, I've, I've thought over the years of why that is. Um, and for me, I think it's the fact that everyone there, there's a clarity of purpose. You know, everybody there is really interested in making these babies, these families whole, you know, and that's, that's really a powerful uniting energy. Yes. And when you talk about that and when a family comes into the NICU for the first time, and this is something we talk about quite a bit from our own, our family's personal experience going through the NICU, but also with families we speak with on a regular basis, the NICU is overwhelming, right? For families coming into it, many of us did not have any connection to the NICU, didn't know what the NICU was. And it can feel very intimidating to ask questions to figure out what your role is in the NICU when you have all of these nurses and a team of neonatologists, sometimes residents that are there helping to take care of the babies. My question for you, and Dr. Chang, I'm going to start with you, but how do you encourage parents to really be a part of that care team from day one? That's a good question. You know, I think a lot of it is, is, is reading the room you know, and understanding what it is that parents um, had expected with their pre pregnancy. So, you know, I, I oftentimes what I do is I, I look at them, kind of understand where they are in in their in their mindset, and never forget about doing the normal things that people expect. So, this family just had a baby, so you should con congratulate them. You know, and um, tell them you know, this, this stuff that's obvious, you know, Hey, listen, like I, uh, you know, I, I know that your journey probably wasn't, this wasn't a part of it, like at, at least the planning part of it. And, um, uh, you know, we, we know that that's true, but our goal is to get you home, um, with a healthy baby as, as soon as possible and mm -hmm. really kind of central wise that, and, and kind of give that, give that goal 
that shared mission to them right right away, you know, and and let them know that they're not alone. You know, I think that that's the most important thing, thing that I've I've come across is is needing to do. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Dembowski. Great. So, um, yes, it, it can be overwhelming, certainly at first. And like you said, re- reading the room, knowing that being part of the care team is really can be different for each family. It's not necessarily just being part of, you know, the morning rounds or having to speak up that, um, you know, it, wanting the whole family to be whole and involved and giving us the feedback we need so we can help the family, the whole family as best as possible. But that can certainly be, you know, a one-on-one, um, you know, session, um, making sure that uh, it's tricky during COVID to have the families together. Um, but little mini sessions where we're sort of, um, you know, breaking away and really trying to figure out what we can do to help the family be the, the best that they can to help their baby. Dr. Greenspan, what do you think families should be asking when they come into the NICU to make sure they're a part of that care team? Because I love what Dr. Chang said, Dr. Novofsky said about, you know, what you all are doing from your end. But I'm wondering, too, you know, what questions are parents supposed to ask as soon as they come in? Yeah, it's a really important question, and it's one that's really on us. Um, I mean, parents are not trained to be in an intensive care nursery, even if you know you're going to end up there, and sometimes we do. You're not trained for that, and it's really on us to, to, to break that ice. And we don't do it well often. And, and I think parents should know that, that, that that's, you know, the nurses, doctors, we're coming in and doing our day job, and we're used to it, and we don't, we don't find it uncomfortable, generally speaking. And, um, and we're just showing up, and it's really on the lead nurses, the lead doctors, to, say, to take a step back and train the team to say to parents in some meaningful way, you're part of this. We know, what, we know you're going through something that perhaps we've never gone through, but it must be a challenge. And, and that you, you, know, you should feel a part of the team. If you don't feel part of the team, it's really the team's fault. And I encourage you to lean in and say, I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting where I'm not getting what I need. And parents say that in different ways, and there's no wrong way of saying that. I just say speak up, just mm-hmm. lean in. I know it's challenging. You have a lot going on, but if you're feeling uncomfortable, that's on us, the care providers. It's not on you, and you should feel comfortable saying whatever it takes. And if you're not getting the right response, go to someone else and just say, "Look, I need. You know, I'm going through some tough times." We've seen parents go through an act. Uh, um, uh, in, in ways that seem inappropriate, nurses will say it's never inappropriate. They're going through things that we can't imagine. And uh, good leadership in the team, and I know they have that at, at, at Cindy's place and, and Eddie's place, that you know that we recognize that this is just a real big challenge for parents. So if you're feeling uncomfortable as a parent, it's okay, and I want you to lean in and just try your best to, to get the attention you need to, to get the questions answered. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think, you know, personally, we journaled all the time. We talk about this frequently. But having a spot to and a place to write down all of that terminology, middle of the night, pumping at 2 a.m. and saying, oh, I need to ask this tomorrow when I'm in the NICU. I mean, finding a way to get all those questions out of your mind and whether it's on your phone and you keep notes on your phone or you download an app or you keep a journal, just some way for parents to have a spot that they can write all of those questions, Right. And to write the reports down from the from the doctors and the medical teams, 
certainly a lot going on and you, you have every right to be confused and challenged and, you know, just as much as you can find the courage to ask the questions, uh, the better off you're going to be. Right. And it's a process. Um, we, we, when you're first starting out, you don't have to ask questions. You can just sit back and listen. And we have many parents who've had a, a long journey in the NICU that by the end, they say they feel like they can get their NICU nursing degree, but it doesn't start out that way. And just like any new job or any new thing, you're going to come into a new situation, be overwhelmed, just take it back and soak it all in. And, you know, we, we always let parents know initially what's going on, you know, don't be afraid to ask the same questions over and over again. We understand a lot of what we say goes, you know, you retain just a small amount of it initially. And, um, we use your care package, which we actually fight over who gets to give them oh. to the families. <laughs> Love to hear that. But we use that as an opener into discussing the journaling and not only for, you know, you know questions coming up, but the positive things that you want to mark down and remember. So um, certainly there's many of our families who've never journaled before, and um, this is a new thing for them. And that gets some taking used to as well. Mm -hmm. But it's all okay. Yes. Well, and hearing you say it's all okay, I, I personal guilt, right? So many of us, especially moms who feel as though their bodies kind of gave way and didn't hold the baby for as long as they should have. Personally, I went, oh, I walked in a three-mile walk and I decorated the house for the holidays, not thinking much about it. But after you deliver prematurely, those feelings of guilt really come to you, right? And so how do you all, as um, neonatologists working with the parents, how do you help to walk those families through that guilt? And I'll, st I'll start with you, Dr. Greenspan. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> that's a really <laughs> tough question. It's a tough one. Uh, well, you know, we, you know, there's there's a double-edged sword here because uh, you, the United States is in a, in a crisis in terms of preterm pre birth, and it's rising, and we want to find out why. And there are some things that we know could um, help prevent some preterm birth, but it's also on us that we haven't shared that secret sauce all the time, and so we're really working on ways of telling parents that, you know, if you want to do everything right to prevent preterm birth, uh, here are a few steps or, you know, nine to 10 things you can do. We haven't gotten that message out and we need to work much more on that. But parents don't know that. And, 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 and so again, it's on us. Most of the time though, preterm birth is just it just happens. It just happens. And even with all the preventative measures we could come up with, it's still going to happen. And so, you know, guilt does nothing to help. Help. Um, we certainly don't know issues. So I've had parents say, you know, I shouldn't have taken that plane flight because that did it. I mean, we certainly have no easy things like that um, to, to, to talk to parents about when you're pregnant. Um, and so, you know, we just almost never talk about things that you could have done differently. Uh, it, you know, um, we're trying to figure that out ourselves and moving forward. Um, it's, there are things that we, we should talk about. You're going to be at high risk again mm -hmm. next time around, but, but for now, let's just deal with what, what we have and try to get through this together and realize that, you know, you know, you, you perhaps had a bad break things, you know, things are, uh, happen, uh, for reasons we don't understand. And, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody to feel that way. Let's, let's be as positive as possible and take each day at a time. 
Yeah, no, I, I, um, I, 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 I promise people that I'm relatively, uh, brutally honest about things. When I set that stage and, and I say, listen, if I thought that you were at fault for this, I would tell you, you're not. And then I turn to their spouse or their family member and I say, she's going to feel like she, this was her fault. It's not. And you need to remind her of that every single day, you know? So um, it's just being brutally honest about that and um, saying that you're not going to, you're not going to soften punches when they need to, to be given. And, um, you know, um, part of that is building that honest rapport with parents. Like, listen, like my job is to be honest with you and, and this, this piece, this isn't, going to be helpful and it's not true right you're you're not at fault for this right and uh, and just like you said that um almost all moms feel that guilt every day and it's almost universal so we'll uh, before moms even bring it up because a lot of them don't want to say they feel guilty that's you know admitting something was wrong um um, is to just bring that out there that, uh, you know, this is a normal feeling. While it's not necessarily a healthy feeling, it's hard to avoid, but it's rarely ever something that you could have done to have um, that prevented this. And um, and you may feel this in waves of guilt, um, but that it's not your fault. And uh, in addition to, you know, multiple family members, sometimes grandparents especially, to make sure they get that message as well, that it's not the mother's fault, because I think they can be getting that message at times from other family members um, more frequently than we may realize. Right, right. And now we've talked about guilt. So you all, we're, we're touching on all the hot button topics here when it comes to families in the NICU. But when you talk about that guilt... And then add on to it the guilt that you have of not being in the NICU for 24 hours a day, right? So that's another big topic that we talk about frequently with families where they don't leave the NICU. And talk to us about how you have helped families to kind of step away for a minute or say, you know what, you have to go home. And why is that important? And Dr. Chang, I'm going to start with you on that one. Yeah, no, I think I think we all acknowledge. I mean, uh, that there's research about this uh, for both family members and staff that uh, staying in the NICU all the time without a break is absolutely bad for your health. And if there's something that we all can do is actually be healthy for the babies, right? Staff and parents, right? So. Um, you know, I think I think we have enough guilt as it is. You know, growing up in my family, guilt was a daily thing, right? So, um, but uh, you know, uh, this is one of those things that you know, like I think I think not being able to take time for yourself, make sure that you're eating well and sleeping well and taking care of yourself, um, can potentially be harmful to you and also to to the to the ability of that you'll have to take care of babies in the future. But I, I always encourage people to, to take time away. Yes. Yeah. And, I, you know, personally, I remember my mother used to say to me, 
after the girls were born, I would say, oh, I need to go back to the NICU. I was only there once earlier, and then I would come home. And I was recovering from a C-section. And I remember my mother so often looking at me saying, you have to heal so that you can take care of the girls. She goes, you have to heal first or you're going to not not be well enough to take care of them. And I always had that in the back of my mind with you know going going to see them and just making sure that we were trying to do some self-care. And even with that self-care, meeting other friends in the NICU. We had another couple who also lost a tw- uh, one of their twins about a week and a half after our daughter had died. And our self-care was going to dinner with each other during the nurse shift change when we had to leave the NICU. But creating those friendships and those connections was so key to our self-care and our growth and and continuing on on our extended NICU journey. I'm sure you all see that too, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Right. And if you try to sprint a marathon, you will lose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important for you to be healthy, not, not just the physical health, but the mental health. Uh, you need breaks. Uh, there's some really incredible research that shows that the babies can sense the parents' mood. And so we need you to come in 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 a good mental state and, you know, interact with your baby and be have the energy to, you know, whatever it takes, sing, um, um, just have the positive vibes are really important. It's important for you. It's important for your baby. It's important for the team. If the team sees that you're optimistic, they, you know, they'll be more engaged too. It's an all natural thing. I mean, we're all humans trying to get through this together. And uh, so I encourage parents to really take breaks. It's definitely about your health and your mental health and your physical health. But it's also, there's a big picture here. So we encourage moms to go home, take some time off. I've, I've encouraged moms to take at least a day off a week, a full day away to, to, to regroup and come back in stronger. So it's a, there's a big picture going on here that tells us that um, you have to take care of yourself and your uh, significant others uh, and um, in order to make the, this marathon work. Well, I think what's so important that you're saying is there's research done about it. I mean, people think they have to be there so many hours a day, but there's truly research that's available to say how important it is for that. Dr. Domboski, anything to add? Well, I had to say, in addition to people feeling they have to be there um, several hours, multiple hours a day, there's also many of our families who can't be there. They have other children at home. They don't have child care. And that's a whole other level of guilt they have to deal with. And you know, that's okay to be the best you can be. We will work with you. We'll do as much virtual as we can. We'll try to help get you in when we can. Um, But um, as far as taking the breaks, yeah, it's quality, not quantity, right? If you're there and you're exhausted and, you know, you're not going to feel that um, the bonding as well as if you give yourself a little bit of a break. I read something years ago, that a story that also uh, often relate to my families, that this was a new missionary who was going to work with Mother Teresa uh, with a whole bunch of people who were dying, not going to make it very long. And every night, she takes her whole team and says, okay, we're done for the night. We're going to eat. We're going to get rest. We're going to go up and do it again in the morning. And was just like, how can we leave these people? A lot of them will, will not be here in the morning. They're not going to make it. We, we can't just leave them. And she was like, 
the people who have come in and don't give themselves a break. They sprint, they burn out, they don't make it, they go home. And in order to keep this for the long game, we need to all give ourselves that break so we can come back, refresh, do it again the next day. And so I tell my families, if Mother Teresa can do that and give herself the out and not feel guilty, you can too. Yes, I love quality over quantity. I think that's that is a, a good way to look at the especially extended NICU stays as well, where it truly is that marathon and not the sprint. And speaking of those extended NICU stays, oftentimes they come with a lot of perhaps surgeries or medical issues, challenges. And I have to admit, my husband and I are guilty of this. At the beginning of our NICU journey, when our surviving twin was diagnosed with grades three and four brain bleeds, we did a lot of Googling of what that meant. And I think I had that computer screen open for about three days, and then I closed it, and I didn't search again because I said, you know what? This is not necessarily going to be clear. But with that in mind and knowing how easily accessible Googling and WebND and all the different platforms that are out there. How do you lead parents to other resources for information and help them not to start Googling and going down that rabbit hole? Dr. Greenspan? Always hit me with the tough ones first. I wanna... <laughs> right here to my right. It's, just... um, it's a really good question. And I, you know, of course, everyone's going to Google and do all their searches. And, and, you know, we do too. You know, we like to see what's out there. Uh, some of it's accurate. Some of it's really not. Um, it's going to happen. As you know, I'm a member of the March of Dimes. I'm a trustee for the March of Dimes. And we have a website, marchofdimes.org, that uh, is really filled with great information. I, I always tell people to, uh, to to look at that site, too. But at the end of the day, your baby's your baby. And these studies are all about, even if they're good studies, they're about the masses. And so each baby's uh, it's different. Uh, I can tell you that, and you know this well, Martha, I'm sure that, you know, your baby may have liked a certain formula or a breast milk variety of, 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 of some something, some medication that other babies didn't like and, uh, and vice versa. And you knew your baby well, and the studies Google wouldn't know your baby well. And so learn what you can if you want. Um, trust us uh, to, to know that data if you don't want. Uh, and either way, just come back and talk to your nurse or your provider uh, about what you heard and saw and read, and um, we should work through it together. Um, I've told you stories personally about you know moms who just Googled up the wazoo, and they come in with multiple questions, and some, they, they wanted to challenge me sometimes. Sometimes I knew the answer. Sometimes I said, I'll have to get back to you. I think that dialogue is really important and good, and some some people cope that way. Um, and, you know, sometimes we changed practice by, you know, what the moms mm -hmm. knew and said. So it's all, learning is all important. And um, I don't mind uh, when they when they Google. Um, I do encourage them to read other things that, you know, like the March of Dimes website. But, um, but no information is bad information generally. Dr. Chang, so when we're talking about Googling, great feedback from you, Dr. Greenspan, on that. But when we have families who are trying to research, who are trying to make sure they're making the best decisions that they can. What do you talk to them about when they say, you know what, I want to go get a second opinion, or I need to ask another neonatologist? How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, I, I think, I think it's all about um, what's best for the family. So for me, I, I, I would say, hey, listen, like, first of all, 
obviously the answer is yes, right? So we'll we'll try and facilitate the second opinion. Now, then I step back for a second. I say, you know, like, is is there something specific that you have questions about and, you know, that I can help you with now? You know, I, I want you to feel that I'm an advocate here. And the reason why I'm asking is it'll help me to steer you to the right information, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, to bring you to to, to actually get you to what, whatever that barrier was or whatever that anxiety is, I, I want to resolve it. So like to understand the why in, in addition to that second opinion really is something that I always I always try and inquire about. But it's okay for parents to ask that and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to get somebody else's opinion on this diagnosis or the need for this surgery, anything along those lines. Yeah, 100%. You know, and um, uh, th- th- these days there are varying ways to do that without too much turmoil, right? Um, we're in a modern era with a lot of modern conveniences of of communication, both video and audio. And, um, you know, these days, especially in a place like Philadelphia, uh, in the greater Philadelphia area, there, there are a lot of ways to get second opinions without too much turmoil. Right, right. Right, yes. And we're in a community hospital. So we, I don't know if the families realize how much we reach out. We don't have our own pediatric NICU subspecialists, but we have amazing children's hospitals close by, and we're reaching out to them on a regular basis when um, specific issues come up. And a lot of times we will bring the families into that, and if they ask for a second opinion, we'll we'll have, um, you know, a speakerphone and go, okay, we're all going to discuss this together and find out, you know, you've read this article a lot of, there's tens of thousands of articles published every day. Most of them don't change practice for at least 10 years or so from, you know, when they're published. So is there anything going on that's of value now versus this is a potential for the future that may or may not work out? And I think families really value that. One of the challenges with families and supporting families that we've really, on top of all of the checking in with their mental health and everything else, has been the increase in um, language barriers that we've Mm -hmm. been seeing and trying to help give families the resources and assess all the needs they have um, when um, communication is such an obstacle. And I think that's another area in line with the mental health that's far under-focused and needs a lot more attention. We do have, again, for Delaware County, under that umbrella of the uh, foundation, a Hispanic Resource Center um, that um, does open a lot of those doors. But on a day-to-day basis, trying to communicate with the families in the NICU and figure out all of the things that we've been talking about today and then put another communication level on top of that is um, is extremely challenging. We talk about that a lot, and that's an area as an organization we want to look into more as we're moving forward as well, is to work to get some interpreters that would be available to help with that. You know, thank, thank you for bringing that up. I think that that's a huge barrier that also is just so hard to navigate. I mean, it's not only socioeconomic, but also cultural and language, right? Mm-hmm. I think that those that that's so important to to, yes. to keep up uh top of mind. Yes. Yeah. Thank you all. Great. 
Great feedback. Really good conversation today. I'm, I'm so excited about all your answers to these questions, and I have more to come. But the Dr. Domboski, I want to stick with you here. When you are meeting with families and you have moms who may be suffering from post-traumatic stress, right, from the experience they've gone through or postpartum depression, how do you encourage them to seek help when they need it, or who should they be asking help from while they're going through the NICU journey. Right. So I think sometimes we bombard families a little too much because that is a very hard subject for families to bring up. So we'll check in on their wellness on a regular basis. You know, how are you doing? I'm still doing okay today, you know. But And obviously, if they've had a history of um, challenges in the past, that makes it more likely. But so we preemptively counsel all families um, that postpartum depression is common in the whole general population, about one out of 10, but much more common um, if you have a baby in the NICU. Um, we have a, a social worker who we can reach out to at any time, but before all any mom um, in the NICU goes home, we'll sort of preemptively give them some resources if they were to find themselves in a place that um, they needed to reach out for counseling. Um, and then there's sometimes where a mom doesn't see it, but outside, um, you know, it, it seems more apparent or another family member might even come up to us and mm -hmm. and provide us some concerns. And, um, you know, it, it may take time. It, it, we may not, um, you know, happen in a day, but we do have um, resources uh, in Delaware County specifically, um, which I, I um, we can talk a little bit about resources, but we've spent um, the last uh, the five years or so with um, the Delaware F County Foundation really trying to gather a ton of resources all into one place that families can reach out to. And one of them is a, a relatively newer program called Moving Beyond um, Perinatal Depression and um, is really a, a great service for a lot of these families. That's great. And and speaking of resources, talking about Delaware County Foundation, other resources that you direct families to? Yeah, that that is a main one that has um, healthy starts. They have medical legal supports. They have HOPE, which is a housing for, um, you know, um, improving inequities. Um, and in Delaware County, there's the um, Petaway Foundation that's in um, Lansdowne, Teresa Petaway had um, leave three premature children herself and is a doula. She trains doulas. She actually works with one of the um, um, insurance companies locally that to provide free doula services. But for those families who don't have that insurance company has parenting classes, father classes, NICU classes, yoga, meditation. Um, a lot of it's virtual now. Hopefully we'll get back to end you know, in person and actually getting little, you know, rewards and going shopping for the baby um, for um, uh, participating in some of those. Um, you know, under the umbrella of the Delaware County Foundation, there's a nurse family partnership, there's a stork program, we have a multiple other um, resources that were hard for, as, as Dr. Greenspan said earlier, we're trying to get all these resources. We saw, okay, for you know, pre, um, nutrition was the other big one and getting, you know, rid of the, the the food deserts and good nutrition and bringing them to families. But um, how we reach out to to get this information to the families who need it. So 
hopefully people are listening today. <laughs> yes. Well, and I want to ask you, Dr. Chang, uh, resources to help moms mm. that are going through some of those challenges, but also just in general to help parents uh, to empower themselves and uh, resources that are available for them. I would actually just say that uh, it's amazing that uh, you've you've gathered so many amazing resources together in Delaware County. I, I would say that for the amount of resources we spend on neonatal care or cancer care or other things, the, for me, and I think for many of us, maternal mental health, and I, I see as a gap in, in our healthcare ecosystem today, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we do have resources, we do have screening tools, we do put a lot of effort in this, but all of that effort is 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 designed to uh, overcome huge administrative and financial barriers that exist today, right? So, again, if there are people listening to this podcast, um, you know, this is one area that we all should be uh, laser focused on getting better. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, quite frankly. Um, you know, as far as resources, we have internal resources at, at 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 our hospital, like mental health workers and nurses that are trained to screen for maternal mental health issues, social workers, psychologists, things like that. Um, we, as physicians, we're always looking out for it, both overt and not so obvious signs of distress. Um, and we also partner with great organizations like Today is a Good Day, right? <laughs> to, to deliver <laughs> deliver resources when in 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 soft and 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 soft and concrete ways. So, you know, I think that um, it's right now it's a patchwork. Um, I think that we're in a decent spot, only because there's so many people working at it. But fr quite frankly, it shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> you know, it, this is something that we should be. This is this is a high priority item that, unfortunately, I think at a system level we're probably not really designing well for. Mm -hmm. Dr. Greenspan, anything to add to that? Yeah, I'll just double down on what both uh, Cindy and Eddie have said. Um, you know, the challenge a, you know, a couple years ago was that the parents are really not our patient in the NICU, and we didn't look at that as uh, something we really had to step into that much until it sort of has bitten us. And um, I would think the, one of the very few silver linings of COVID has taught us that behavioral health is a huge issue for kids, for adults, for all of us during COVID. And, you know, in the intensive care nursery, we now know that if you're not having behavioral health challenges, depression, anxiety, you're unusual. So uh, we've learned that and most of us have adapted our nurseries to, you know, to, to have, as Eddie said, you know, some screening tools and some support social workers and all that. And I do uh, compliment Delaware County has st stepped in and said, you know, we need even deeper resources. But uh, we all have them and we can dig into them. But I think what COVID is going to do for us is make this sort of a much more natural 
connection that, you know, the patient, the, the mom can now be our patient as well mm-hmm. and allow us to do some of these things, be a virtual otherwise. So we should, you know, certainly if you're a parent and you're having challenges, anxiety, depression, anything that you, you just don't feel right about, challenges with your spouse or a significant other, um, you're not, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. It's something that, you know, if you reach out, we'll find some way of helping you and understand that you're probably in the majority and not the minority. Yes, for sure. And and that is something we say often, you are not alone. Many of us have navigated all of these journeys, right? We may look strong. And and by the way, well, we did a study on this. I think I mentioned um, uh, when parents are acting, um, you know, uh, out in conflict or anger, it's often because they're depressed. And so we're learning that, you know, that that your behavior is not often reflective of what you're really feeling inside. And that, and that, and if you're if you're if you're acting unusual, it's not your fault. It's really we have to figure mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. But I think you made a good point of saying, just ask the neonatologist, ask the nurse that's taking care of your baby, say, this is what's going on. I need some help connecting with resources that might be available for me. Exactly. Right. Now we've talked a lot about being in the NICU from when you are admitted to the NICU through your stay in the NICU with your baby. It is a big milestone when you get to go home from the NICU. Sometimes, and I'm I'm not naming names here, you have to get kicked out of the NICU because you just won't leave and you buy pizza and you do all kinds of things. Um, and then they finally <laughs> say, well, now it's time for you to go home, Martha and Paul. But we, <laughs> but when you are working with families and they're getting ready to leave the NICU, it is scary, especially if you're going home with an apnea monitor, with oxygen, oxygen any extra equipment that you have to go home with and your baby is not connected to a lot of wires. And just like you all tell families all the time, stop looking at the monitors, look at the baby, look at the baby. But what's your biggest piece of advice for families when they walk out that door? And Dr. Chang, I'm going to start with you. Uh, that's, that's a hard one, right? I, what, what, what did I tell you guys? <laughs> well, in full disclosure, Dr. Chang did save our Claire. He delivered our Claire and was with us through our extended NICU stay. You know, I have a few things that stood out to me that you said, but one was when the good days outweigh the bad days. And we we hit where those good days outweighed the bad days and we got to take Claire home. Uh, no, but you definitely had to kick Paul and me out of the NICU. We, we wouldn't leave. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, so, so, so we work really, really, really hard, right, to make sure that babies are ready to go home, right? So, um, they have to, pr- you know, one of our one of our mentors uh, in the Philadelphia area, uh, Dr. Maria Delavoria, um, she used to say, you know, listen, like uh, some, sometimes you can't trust these preemies, right? But but you get to a point where you know you can trust them, you know. And uh, I think that I think that uh, we work really hard with both parents and and the babies to make sure that you guys are ready. Yes. And, um, you know. No one wants to live in the NICU, right? mm-hmm. so you know. So I think I think part of this is just like trusting in the fact that the baby's done their homework. You know, the parents have done their homework, and you know, hopefully, you know, um, you guys you guys get a chance to 
to, to see what the outside world looks like and really go home. Get to a point where you trust the preemies. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Dr. Greenspan? Yeah, it's a really, you know, what's interesting about what you said Martha, is that most of us in healthcare feel that you just want to get out of there as soon as possible. And what you sort of said was what we sometimes hear, which is, uh, you know, Charlie can go home Wednesday, it's Monday. And the parent sort of looks at you like blankly, and I'm not sure they're saying, can I go home tomorrow or can I go home three Wednesdays from now? And sometimes it's three. Scary. Yeah, it's scary. And we don't really recognize that enough and recognize that, you know, we've been taking care of, you know, Charlie for a long time and we're used to him and he's, you know, it's just room one and, you know, we walk in and we you know, we, we cuddle and we have a good time, but it is different. You go home, you don't have all the monitors, you don't have the nurses, the respiratory therapists and all that support. And, and so it's going to be scary. Um, we do know that babies do better at home than they do in the nursery generally, that when they get home and it's quiet or whatever it is, the love that they feel at home, it makes them grow better. We sometimes are amazed. They come back, you know, a week later and they're just different babies. So you should know, the, have the confidence that the home is the, really the best environment. But I get it. It's going to be scary. And, you know, tell us what you're feeling. Again, communication is a beautiful thing. And, you know, if you tell us what you're feeling, uh, we've had parents call us three hours after they go home to say, you know, uh, this burp wasn't quite, you know, we love that. We just love knowing all that. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, we almost always have you see your pediatrician in a day or two yes. just to check in and get a weight or whatever it is. And that's not that important medically, but it's important for everybody's uh, mental health and, and, and uh, transition. So so uh, we get it. It's, you know, look, I, I, I didn't have a preterm baby or a baby in the NICU, but I had a, a child in the hospital for even just two days. And it was the scariest two days of my life. Um for a minor thing. And when I went home, I was scared. You know, what happens if this, what happens if that? And so I, I sort of remotely get it. I can't imagine being you uh, and Paul in that moment because it's got to be scary and just recognize that you're okay. This has gone, you know, w many people have gone through it and, you know, we're still here for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Dr. Dombowski? Yeah, and the NICU is open 24-7, so you can call. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes it is. And uh, we highly encourage before that day um, to really um, take us up on our offer for a sleepover. We offer that for all families. And there are a lot of families who might be there a lot during the day. Um, again, not so much at night during COVID, but... Um, that um, feel like they've done a lot of care, but it's different when you're sleeping there in the room and you're off, the baby's off the monitors and you're away from all of that and the nurse isn't right there at the side. And it really is like your sort of first night alone where we just sort of peek in and really let you guys, you know, have your time together. And that, that time that you missed um, with the initial... Um, hospital stay after birth. Um, so many families came back later and, you know, just gave us feedback that, you know, I I'm exhausted, but it was definitely worth it. I feel so much more confident now. I didn't think I'd really need this, but uh, until I did it, I didn't realize how much I really needed it. And so I really think that helps um, as another layer to just um, feeling confident. And the more confident you are, the better it's mm -hmm. going to go. I, th I think it's important to know, also acknowledge, you know, in the same way that we had said, hey, listen, there are certain feelings that are totally normal. Like, this is definitely one of those normal things, right? So, um, you know, a few years ago, we actually queried parents that after they had gone home and, listen, like, how did you feel? What are the things that would have helped you? 
And we realized that just even a normal check-in, you know, so, uh, you know, for a while we, in an analog way, not high tech, but we would call parents like a day or two. We wouldn't call them that day, right? We would give them a day to kind of kind of feel the, the weight of being alone with their kid for a day. And then we would call them on day two or day three, right? I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Before, like, so we would do that just to check in, to say, hey, listen, how are you? And it really wasn't about that information transfer. It was really just to say, listen, there's someone here that still is thinking about you, that remembers you, and they can help you if you need, right? Mm-hmm. So that was really important for us to learn, right? The other piece was that um, during COVID, we realized that maybe we can do this in a technologically more advanced way. So like we actually started using Zoom as a check-in, right? So not only would we call them, but we would also check in with them with a Zoom call. Um, and then, you know, we realized that oftentimes these parents had questions that weren't doctor-type questions. They were maybe nursing-type questions or dietary questions or normal behavior questions. So we actually put the Zoom call together for a lot of our families where we would actually have our NICU dietitian and, uh, you know, uh, one of the nurses or a developmentalist on the Zoom call with us, and it would only be like a 15-minute check-in, 15, 30 minutes. But the anxiety level after that visit, which was nothing for us, right, was impactful for the parents. And what we've been able to show is that these parents, their anxiety levels have decreased, um, their their emergency room visits decreased, uh, their phone calls to their pediatricians also decreased just by checking with in with them, like one week after and two weeks after, and then sometimes four weeks after. Well, it means a lot. It goes back to that care of the family in addition to the baby, right? Adding that, adding that extra care in there. So I have one last question for all of you. And as a NICU parent, I'll tell you that we have heard so many different lines that have stuck with us for years after Claire graduated from the NICU. And I'll, I'll share one with you now. I, I say it often, but one of our wonderful neonatologists at Abington Hospital, Dr. Snyder, I remember looking at him halfway through our NICU stay, and we had known about Claire's diagnosis of uh, bilateral brain bleeds, and we didn't know whether she would walk or what she would be able to do. And I remember looking at him saying, Dr. Snyder, what's she going to be able to do? What's her future look like? Because we didn't know, and we can't control it, and we can't see into the future. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, Martha, she's going to be the best Claire that she can be. And I repeat that line so often to other families because it's so important to hear that because we work hard to make them as successful, to help them feel as successful. But knowing that they are the best that they can be. So when you think of all the families, I have one for you too, Dr. Chang. But when you think of all the all of the all the information and all of the conversations that you've had with families over all of your years of service helping NICU families, what is one line that you've shared with NICU families to help encourage them? or one story, or whatever you'd like to share here, but something to help them feel encouraged as they leave the NICU, or even during their stay. Dr. Greenspan. <laughs> Darn you. <laughs> <laughs> you were looking at Cindy for a I second. Know. 
No, I've said a, I've said this over a, a lot of times, and that is uh, really two words. And one is you know congratulations, <clears throat> and then I'm sorry, and <laughs> and the congratulations is you know you have a ba- beautiful baby, mm-hmm. um, she or he's yours, uh, and you got get going home, and what a remarkable story. Uh, and, and by the way, certainly if you're listening to this podcast, but almost all the time, in fact, all the time, you've been a remarkable parent. You've been there, um, you know, too thick and thin. And so I congratulate them on all that. And, and by the way, you know, you had a baby, it's congratulations, even in the beginning. Um, and sometimes we forget, but that should be a congratulations. Um, the, the sorry is, you know, it, it wasn't supposed to be this way. And no matter what how much you had planned or even how much you knew it wasn't supposed to be this way. It was not your, you know, blue or pink balloon idea or whatever they're doing these days with the, <laughs> the naming ceremony, whatever they're doing. Um, uh, it, it was supposed to be better than this. And, um, and we've made mistakes. Uh, we've, we've misstepped. Uh, we've all had our challenges. The longer, that Nick you stay went on the heart the more often that has happened and and so there's a lot of sorry to go around and and you know so it's mixed feelings uh, about the whole environment most people who I talk to later on have positive feelings about the entire stay and we really try all of us try really hard to make it that way but they also do remember the f- the few words that happened that the, the few moments that you know when we weren't at our best and so they deserve a sorry and um and, you know, stay in touch. I've stayed in touch with so many parents, and it's just such a joy for us. Parents, mm-hmm. Parents, I give them all my cell number. I, I know we all probably do. And I, I love getting a text, a picture, or something to say. You know, it, you know, we're, we're humans, too. We want to know that all of our efforts have worked, and, and we want to stay in touch with you. One of the challenges with neonatology, one of the reasons to not go into it is it's a short-lived experience with that family, and you get so close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as you've stayed close with Dr. Chang, we love when that happens. And so, you know, congratulations, sorry, stay in touch. Mm-hmm. Love that. Dr. Domboski? I certainly miss that. Today's a good day. It's a great way to get the families back in and for positive pizza parties and all of yes. that. But I think, you know, just that gratitude that the families are, ama- you're amazing, your baby's amazing. And I just appreciate so much being able to be a part of this mm. journey with you. Mm-hmm. That means a lot for families to hear that, for sure. Dr. Chang? Now, you know, so I think that it, it's, um, you know, the one thing I've learned through COVID uh, is that uh, gratitude is such a powerful thing. Um, and uh, for me and for my team, one thing that we've uh, not been great at communicating and that we're better at communicating now is authentic gratitude to the families. Because, frankly, like, we learn something new about what a family is supposed to be and what love is supposed to look like more than um, oftentimes I feel like it's selfish, right? So like that we're getting so much out of you guys when we, you know, it should be the other way around, right? So just telling them that, um, I think that's something that I've begun to do more often mm-hmm. um, uh, over the last year than, than I've ever done before. Great. And I have to share with you, I'm sure you all want to know the line that I remember from Dr. Chang and that Paul remembers, I see miracles every day. (laughs) Remember you saying that to us, right? Uh, 
Yes. So we, uh, we're we just so grateful that you all spent time with us today. Thank you for your words of wisdom. Thanks for being here. And thanks for all you do for so many families. This episode of the Today is a Good Day podcast is brought to you with support from Life Celebration by Givnish and Key Bank.